Um, if you need Bibles, you can raise your hand, and my man, we have Carrie here passing them out. If you need pens, you can let us know as well. And if you need paper, if you can turn your programs on the back side, uh, you should be able to write notes uh, there. Hope you guys are being really encouraged. Um, again, we we want to make sure we are understanding the whole counsel of God, and so that's why we are we are just going through books of the Bible. Uh, we started um, in John and in Galatians, and now we are hitting Genesis. Uh, real quick, because as we get further, um, when we we're in the first 11 chapters, I was able to expound on each chapter quickly, but that'll probably take the whole time, so I can't do that now. What I'll tell you is that there's basically two big chunks uh, that you deal with when you're, in, when you're in Genesis, and that is creation is what we did in uh, chapters 1 through 11, uh, seeing God uh, establish uh, his, his mandate for us to uh, bear his image well and then for him to continue to reveal to us how messed up and sinful we are and how we need him and how he's created all things, both created and uncreated. And then we have um, him basically beelining this reality of him creating all things and then him making humans this prized possession. And then what he does, he beelines it even further and he focuses in on a specific family where he's going to allow the nations, uh, his people to come from. So you have basically chapters 12 through 50 being, in, in, in essence, covenant of God choosing people because he's gracious, because he's good, um, him providing a covenant with those people, and then him being the, the focus of the covenant. So uh, because of God, uh, we're able to have the covenant, but we don't establish it with the Lord. And so we're, gonna, we're seeing that uh, in chapters 12 through 20, and now we're going to see that again in 21, and that's going to be sort of the theme all the way, all the way throughout um, Genesis. Now, we haven't, I think last week we went out because there was no power. We served. You guys are awesome there. Thank you so much, by the way, of flexing. Again, you guys are awesome in serving uh, the community. I thought it was a great display of God's words and deeds. Uh, but before that, we had been dealing with uh, Abraham. We've looked at um, Lot, and we've seen that throughout uh, the last couple of chapters, there's been this promise that God had been promising, and that was a son. He had been promising a son uh, to uh, Abraham and Sarah for a long time. And finally, in, in chapters 21, uh, we finally see this promise be revealed. Uh, so that's where we're at now. So what I want you guys to do, I know it's kind of hot. I wanted to bless you guys and turn the fan, this fan towards you a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to reach all the way back there. So that's an incentive to actually move up next week. But um, <laughs> get some real fan action. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Just a note, if you have questions, please feel free to ask them. Uh, we're not just trying to get smarter. We want people to understand and be informed with worship. Uh, we, are, we are convinced, although you can manipulate knowledge, the reality is, whether we like it or not, who you are and what you do is predicated on what you know. Okay? And so we're going to, that's why we study the scriptures, and we want to know more about Jesus, and we hope it wouldn't make us arrogant, but it would make us humble, realizing who he is and who we are not, and our need for Christ. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide this time. We pray we know that it's hot. We pray that you would allow us to be excited and passionate about learning more about your story and our place in history. Holy God, make, your, make yourself famous in our lives. Be exalted. Be worshipped. You are worthy of all praise. And we pray that you will be pleased during our time of worship right now. In Christ's name, amen. Let's jump right in, guys. Um, so here it is. Abe gets his boy. He's been... He's been hoping for a long time and wanting this for a long time. 
And um, we've seen years and years go by, a couple of decades in, in essence. And finally, um, he's getting his boy. Now, remember last time we talked, it was a couple of weeks ago, but let me remind you. Remember, God began to put more skin in the game. So for a while he said, you know, you're going you're gonna to have a child. You know, you're going to have a son. Uh, but then he starts putting a little more skin in the game. He says, not only are you going to have a son, here's what I want you to name the son. And by this time next year, you will have him. So now the expectation is right there, man. It's like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to have my son next year. God said, I'm going to have a son. We enter into this part right here, chapter 21, verse 1. We can pop it up. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Don't fly by those things, guys. Because the question I want you to be asking yourself as we're trying to learn how to study the Bible while we're doing Bible study is ask yourself, so what's the point of this chapter? So when we come together, be asking yourself as we're reading the narrative, what's the point of this chapter? Which, by the way, makes me forget there's something I want to do, and that is every week now, I want to actually start by having the whole passage read uh, before I go into the specifics, just to make sure you're getting used to seeing the whole story, Okay. Do you mind if I just, let me run through it real quick, okay, guys? So, verse 1. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name uh, Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When, he, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and God command, as God commanded him. Uh, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Can you imagine? Love that. I love that. He's changing his diaper, then he changes his diaper. Right? Verse 6. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I have tons of jokes there, but I don't want you guys to fire me. Continue on. Verse 8. The child grew and was weaned on the day... On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 9, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born uh, to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. Uh, for that slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with my son Isaac. Continue on. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed. Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to what Ever Sarah tells you, uh, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Continue on, please. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and the skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about, the bo- about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And it's sad. And she sat, she sat there nearby. She began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying he li- um, as he lies here, lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and saw, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. 
while he was living in the desert of Paran, her, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Yeah, put it on the first slide, please. Chapter, uh, verse 1. Okay, guys. All right, starting off. So that's the story. Notice, uh, the first couple, couple verses. Notice he continually says things like, God did something uh, as he said, right? Uh, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The uh, reason why this is very important is because he's trying to, he's trying to continually solidify in you and me uh, an attribute of God. And that, is, and that is God is faithful, right? He wants you and me to get that when you look at history, again, we talk about worship, responding to God for who he is, right? I mean, just the essence of who he is. And one thing he's trying to tell you right now is that he is faithful, right? And what he does is that the things he do, when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So that is what worship is, right? So he's saying, look, remember, if you're in doubt, remember what I did to Sarah, or Sarah now. He says, I said that she was going to have a child over 20 years ago, and look, it came to pass. Very important. Don't skate over that. Uh, it continues on. It says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, uh, just as God promised him. See, he says it again. Uh, you see, Abraham gives him the, the name that he's supposed to give him. And then in verse 4, when, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Circumcision, again, we talked about circumcision at length in our bodies uh, throughout this time. One thing I want to make sure you understand is that circumcision, in essence, the beauty of circumcision is what you're really saying. It's not just the whole aspect of what you do to the boy's private parts, but it's what you're really saying is that I'm choosing and I'm, I'm going to choose to raise his son under the authority of God. That's what you're saying, right? It's just not a ritual. But, but, the, but the Jew was basically saying when they did this, they were covenanting that, hey, he's going to be part of this covenant community, and I'm going to raise him as such. Um, let me continue on, please. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Now, you guys remember this, right? You remember Sarah, Sarah laughed before, right? But the laugh was probably mockery because God was upset with her, right? So she was basically doubting God. But I love the redemptive loophole here. Notice, and she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah uh, would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What's the, uh, what does Isaac mean? Son of laughter. Yeah, she said, son of laughter. See, I love the redemptive loophole here because... What, what God did is when she, so she was a, being a woman of a lack of faith, and God just didn't keep saying, I can't believe you didn't believe me. Like, he didn't say here, hey, you have your baby. Remember you were doubting me? But it's almost what God wants to remind her. He's like, almost like you were laughing at me, but I'm not going to just continue to rebuke you. We're going to laugh together because I'm good. So every time you look at your son and you remember his name, son of laughter, I get the last laugh because I did what I said I was going to do. And now you can laugh. And the laugh can be one of joy now because God has fulfilled his promise. So, so even the name in itself, uh, barely convinced that when she, when she named him Isaac and she thinks, man, I played God, but God was good and he's still gracious to me. It's a beautiful point. It's a beautiful point of God's redemptive work in our life. Uh, and I don't want to <clears throat> prove text too much, but I wanted us to see that. How, how the Lord takes a crazy situation and then he can provide a, a redemptive loophole and show how he can make something that's seemingly bad in her mind. I'm not going to have a child. I'm so old and make it good and to remind us of his goodness. Continue on, please. So verse 8. So this child, this child grows up, right? And it says the child grew and was weaned. 
And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So why would he hold a feast? Uh, this is kind of uh, what well, was new for me. But again, in those, it wasn't normal at all uh, for babies to die in just, I mean, crazy rates between the ages of one and three during this time. And so when your child was able to actually be weaned, which was probably around the age of three uh, in these times, you were so excited because basically you found, you've made it past the danger period. See, our danger period in our minds is so much shorter now. But back then, I mean, yeah, because uh, the breastfeeding and things of that sort, and uh, I mean, many childs uh, died uh, between the ages of one and three. So they would have a feast because they would celebrate uh, not just the baby being weaned, but the, wean, the weaning described that maybe the baby's going to make it. Okay? So, so they have this feast. And in verse 9, But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, Ishmael, was mocking. At this point, uh, Ishmael is probably 16 years old, okay? And uh, our little homie Isaac is probably about three. And um, I think Lauren, Lauren's maybe like, she'll be, she'll be three in September. So I'm trying to give you a, a word picture, you know, like uh, my, niece, uh, my niece Shiloh, little girls. I mean, picture that, that age group, like little bitty kids, you know, they're still, you know, every once in a while they might have a little poop, you know, in the diaper, you know. And um, they, they, they basically, they, sorry, I, well, I got kids, I'm sorry. So um, they, you know, they, they, like, I don't even think they can do training wheels yet on the bike, you know. Uh, these are little, little, just like little big babies um, at this point. And, and the question becomes, uh, she says she saw him mocking. Like, and so people want to understand what is this mocking? I mean, it could be just kind of talking bad uh, to the child. Uh, but but, but many, many scholars think that actually maybe he was kind of bullying uh, the kid, a little three-year-old. And so in response to that, uh, it says that, now notice this, I mean, this sister is hot, right? In verse 10, and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, um, for that slave woman's son would never share in the inheritance of my, with my son Isaac. I mean, you can imagine, uh, she's watching her baby getting, you know, probably uh, bullied or maybe at best uh, ridiculed verbally by a 16-year-old kid, and she's... I mean, you know, you know you're mad when you can't even say the people's names, right? I mean, right? She's like, get that with your woman and that slave. I mean, you know, you can tell there's mad drama. And this is totally like Maury Povich, you know, when they got the little pregnancy test, you know, and that whole thing. This is, this is drama, right? And so, and so she says, get these people out of, out of my sight. We continue on. And the matter distressed Abraham because this is his boy, right? This is still his son. And so he's, he's kind of like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And in verse 12, God says, which is very interesting, it's almost like God affirms, um, he says, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. So it's almost, she says, get rid of these guys. And almost like the Lord says, yeah, do, do what she said. He, he affirms the decision. Why do you think he affirms the decision? Still there in your heart. Because if, if you're reading the text, wouldn't that be a natural question? Like, why would God affirm this? Seems kind of mean and harsh. Or maybe, maybe just to me. But God says that. And then um, he says, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I, I will make the son of your maidservant to a nation also because he is your offspring. So I want to pause and just talk about a theological premise here that we need to make sure we're all on the same page with. And that is the doctrine of election. Okay, and this is a harm for people, but but you see it right here. I mean, the reality is what this means 
uh, there's two kind of aspects to the definitions, two prongs. First, God chooses whom he will save. Okay. Um, I just don't know how you can continue to read scripture and not see that this is a reality that God, God chooses whom he will see come to know him and be his children. Uh, and that's that he elects them. He says, you're going to be mine, and for whatever reason, uh, you're not going to be mine. Uh, I know that seems kind of harsh, uh, but, but uh, again, what we talked about a few weeks ago is when you think of Scripture, as my friend said, the great scandal is not how do, why do people go to hell, but the, rate, real, the real scandal is why do people get to go to heaven? Um, we're so messed up and foul, we should all be destroyed, and actually God saves some of us. It's just a beautiful thing. Uh, the other piece, the other prong, though, is God chooses whom he will use. So election is interesting. When we talk about election, we always focus on the salvific component, right? But it also seems the Bible makes very clear, not only he will choose whom he will bring into uh, eternity with him to be his children, but he also chooses um, how, what people's journeys will pan out to be on earth. For example... We can look, as, we, as we continue on in the scriptures, we're going to see uh, what he does with the Egyptian kings and, and, how, and what their destiny is and how he hardens their heart because he has a certain role for them to play. And so that's, uh, that's their role. And some of you right now, you have a destiny to be his child, uh, to be all out for God, to be doing the things he's called you to do. But the reality, the beauty of this, here's the beauty of this, is that this allows us to automatically or it should allow us to never be haughty. There should be deep humility in my life and your life because it's not us who, who's so cool where we can write or you can play a guitar or, or you a lawyer or whatever you do. It's totally not about you. God has been gracious to you and he's chose to make you as such. And so when we have the right view of God, when God's view is, when, we, when, we, when our view of God is exalted and he's big and we're small and he chooses to make me his child and he chooses to allow me to, to teach the Bible and he gifts us in these different ways, then I'm not going around thinking, oh, I'm just so cool the way I do this, the way I do that. I go, wow, you're so gracious, Lord, to let me do this. You see the difference? It's a nuance, but it's huge. Because one is wrought with pride and one is humble in disposition. One exhausts the Lord and the other exalts self. You see that, guys? So the doctrine of election is not just a, a smart, you know, lofty theological treaty that we need to say, oh, yeah, God just does all this stuff. But it really affects how you look at life and how you look at your destiny and what God is doing. Romans 9, verses 6 through 9, is a good address to write down, the whole chapter, obviously, to really wrestle with this reality. But guys, hear me. The reality is good. The beauty of this, of election, is that there's, it's a beautiful thing. You're his child because he is doing this in your life. So, it's right there. At the end of the day, you know what he says to Abraham? He says, look, bud, I, I know you're distraught, but here's the reality. It is what it is. I'm going to bless your other boy. I'm going, to, I'm going to hook Ishmael up. You know, he's going to have people too. But he won't be the child of the promise. You see that? He says, but he won't be the child of the promise. Sorry. The, the, way, I've, the way I've formatted things, I want Isaac to be the child of the promise. That's how it's going to roll. That's how it's going to be. He's elected Isaac, and he just chose not to elect Ishmael. This, the, the, the sad reality of this drama 
is how we have uh, so much fighting today. I mean, basically, in a nutshell, uh, when you talk about Islam and Christianity or Jews, I mean, this is a big issue, right? This is a big issue. We have even some ladies who are doing I'm Angel House where they're ministering to Muslims. I mean, this is huge because basically, in a nutshell, what the Bible, the Old Testament is being rewritten where Ishmael is the child of promise, okay? Because individuals are mad that the Bible teaches that Isaac is a child of promise, and so, therefore, the big battle is, so who is the child of promise, right? Who's, who's God's child? Who's the one where the kingdom will be ushered in? And so, therefore, that's why you have all the fighting and the craziness in the Middle East, uh, people claiming a right. For the sake of time, I'm going to continue on, guys. So, God, God says this to him. He says, hey, you, guess what? I... In my sovereign hand, because I've elected that Isaac is the child of promise, he's the guy that needs to stay. Hey, tell your girl and her little boy they got to go. Okay? I'm going to bless them, but they need to go. Continues on early next morning. See, and that's why you look at this text, and I think if you look at this text without understanding the doctrine of election, without understanding God's sovereign hand over this, that that means he controls all things. You just think, man, Abraham's kind of raw. He just grabs his little little girl and says, hey, look, girl, here's some bread. Get out of here, you know. And you think, but I, I don't, I don't, I, 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 when, I, when I understand the text from the, from the narrative, I don't think that's the case. I think actually Abraham's obeying God here. I think he's, I think he's giving her the bread and he's giving her the stuff and he's going, I'm going to sing you in your way. And he's kind of like, I'm trying to be a man of faith here. I'm going to trust God in this. God is going to protect you. God said he's going to bless you and make you a, a great nation. So here you go. And he sends him off, I think, in a sense of faith, actually. Look at this. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave it to to, uh, them to Hagar, set them on her shoulders, and then send her off with the boy. Uh, she goes wandering in the desert, and check this out, then uh, when the water is gone, she puts the boy under uh, one of the bushes. Now, now, now go here with me. Imagine this. You're walking with your son, burning hot, you drain all the water, and man, you're just thinking, I'm going to die. We're about to die. We have no food. We have nothing. We're going to die. And look at this. She says, then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. So she sits the boy somewhere a little far. But she sits him not too far because she wants to still keep an eye on him, but she didn't want to just be there when he dies. Can you imagine how distraught this is as a parent? You see that? And it says, and, and she sat there nearby and she began to just cry. Just cry. You imagine how, how worthless she's feeling probably thinking like, you know, I just had this dude just kick me to the curb. I can't believe this. Uh, I was a mistress. Maybe I shouldn't have ever gone with him. Who knows what she's thinking? But look at this. Then it says, God heard the boy crying. Now notice that. It says that she's sobbing, but when God enters the picture, he hears the boy crying. It's very interesting. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God, which I will propose to you, is Jesus, uh, called to, and we talked about that, we see angel of the Lord in the scriptures many times. That's a uh, tight, that's, a, that's Jesus. And he says, call to Hagar from heaven, reprove as Jesus, and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So that's not an angel talking. Angels ain't got that kind of power. All right? That's God. So propose as Jesus. Says, hey, notice what she, notice what she does here. She knows what he does. He says, listen, you need some hope. He says, 
why? He says, why, why are you giving up? Right? Why is your head down? He says, don't be afraid. And even, even look at this. Um, can you go to the next page? Next. It says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, the question is, was the well of water there before she saw it? It seems like, it wasn't like he then put a well of water before her. It seemed like she couldn't see the well of water, and then he opened her eyes to see the well of water, which is very interesting. And I I wonder if there's some some context about just her position and just kind of like so distraught, she was just like, I can't even... Like, I'm so, like, so caught up in my own situation. I'm so messed up. I can't believe it that she could even be able to see, like, hope. And she basically was in such despair that she couldn't even see what was before. Because the scripture says, it says, Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So this is present-day Mecca. Which is very, I think that's deep. We're talking about the location. It's present-day Mecca, where these are the, this is where people have, have solidified um, you know, the, the, the Islam faith. Uh, and right here, obviously, she, I don't think these guys are believers. She goes and gets him a honey from her old crib. Remember, she's from Egypt. Okay, she's from Egypt. And she says, well, I'm going to get somebody from my old, my people. And she goes and gets another pagan to marry him. So now here's the question. What's the point of this passage? Think about that. What's the point of this passage? Because what, what we'll be tempted to do here, we'll be tempted to maybe camp out on the hope component there, right? That, you know, she was navel-gazing. She needs to have hope. I can't believe that, you know, this woman, you know, needs to trust the Lord more. Um, there's so many places we can take this passage. But I don't think you can necessarily know the point of this passage without fast-forwarding to what we see um, for us now in Romans. I mean, I'm sorry, um, in Galatians. I think that the point of the passage really reveals itself, actually, even in Galatians, and we have the cheat sheet because we have Galatians. Can you go there for me? So what I want to do here, I want to read this, then I want to talk about it from the perspective of how the Israelites, before they had Galatians, would talk about it, and then I want to talk about it how we have it right now, okay? Look what it says here. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not all aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. You see what he's saying here? He says his son by the slave woman was born the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. They would have understood that. They would have understood that, okay, this passage is about one guy um, having a child, you know, just by human means, Two individuals have sex. Yeah. So to make sure I'm telling the truth. So, uh, so one woman is having is having uh, you have sex with a guy and you have a baby, right? But then God says this other this other child was not born just by normal means. But see, we, we actually, or maybe just me, I'm thinking the child still was born by ordinary means. It was just by old people. But see, God is saying, no, this is a supernatural birth. 
God is saying he did a miracle when he allowed these, this woman to be past childbearing years, which is what we saw earlier in the text down you know, many chapters ago, and he allows this man to impregnate this woman and for her to have a baby that should not have been born because he was born of a promise. God made a promise to her and him, and the baby is here because of God being faithful to his promise. So God is saying, not me, look at the text here. He says there's one of natural birth and one of supernatural birth, one of a promise. Okay? He says, so basically, which one are you going to be? So he says, but his son, in verse 23, the second part, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively for the woman, rep, uh, for the woman represent two covenants. So now it gets even deeper. His point here is about the reality of the covenants. He's trying to help you and me see that there are, there are a couple covenants here. We have two covenants. You could be part of one or the other. There's, make, make no mistake about it. He says, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. If you are born of that covenant of just natural means and you go through and you do a natural life, he says, you will be a part of the children of the slave woman. You are a slave. Well, slave to what? Slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. And guess what? He says, if you don't believe it, just look what you do. You and me, we are evil. Although we can try to re- remake our sin, we can try to manage our sin, that we continually, continually re- remind ourselves that apart from a supernatural promised rebirth, we are part of the slave woman. He says, but, but guess what? This is Hagar. Continue on, please. Now, Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Now, wait one moment. Because she is in slavery with her children. She's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O bear woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. You see that? He says, guess what? God is going to do something. God is going to do something supernatural. Continue on, please. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So his, the whole point of that passage, don't miss this. At that time, the son, in the ordinary way, persecuted... You see that? Now the scriptures give you a little more insight. A little more insight to what happened. So what does mockery mean? At some level, he was persecuting. You see that? Persecuting the son born by the power of the Spirit. So now we get more insight. Okay, so the son wasn't just like two people got together and had sex, born by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that? It is the same now. This doesn't change. This is just the beginning of me to point to you to say, this is what's happening to people who actually choose Jesus. This is the beauty of the resurrection. This is the beauty of the recreated life. This is the beauty of the gospel. Is that God is saying that each one of us has to make a decision. Will you be a child of the slave woman or will you be a child of the promise? This is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman. He brings it up again. Well, why did God do that? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with the free woman's son. What is he saying here? He's saying get rid of the slavery. Break out of the sin. Guess what? You cannot be a child of promise if you are in bondage to sin. We don't want to hear that in evangelicalism. We don't want to hear that in Christianity. You cannot worship idols and Jesus. He says, put off the idols. Put off the slave woman. You don't no longer have to be a slave. Put your trust in the promise. 
be rebirthed, reborn, is receive the inheritance. A supernatural way. God has to do something supernaturally in us. I'm amazed. We, I watch people who, they want to have the newly created life, but they just want to work at it. God says, no, you're still a child of the slave. The only way you get the recreated, the new created life, the gospel living life, is by the promise, by rebirth. Rebirth. Your birth, you have to be born again, anew of the Spirit. For the slave woman, so would never share an inheritance. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are free from the penalty and the bondage of sin. So what does this passage mean? You go back now, turn, go back to the passage. What does this passage mean? Why did he show you in the beginning? He had the child, just like I said, just like I promised, just like I told you. What's his point here? Is that I am faithful. And what I did was I made a promise and I kept it. And guess what? I'm going to keep that promise in you too. See, you have people fighting. We have people fighting in Israel. We have people fighting all over the Middle East. And what they're fighting over? They're fighting over, are, is this son the right son? Did this son do everything right, Ishmael? Or, or did Isaac do everything right? Is Isaac the right son? No, 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 no. You're both wrong. There's one more son. There's one more son. Jesus Christ. See, he is the son of the promise. He is the one son that God wants you to focus on. Not on Isaac, not on Ishmael, but there's one who was born again, who was paid for your sin, who freed you from the bondage of sin. And that you have to put your life, your confidence, your trust, everything of who you are in the finished work and persons of Jesus. That's how we receive the promise. That's what the passage means. He's trying to help us see that God is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his promise, guys. And this is why we don't have to live in bondage. It breaks my heart. And I don't even, it breaks my heart when I watch individuals. We walk around and we're like, oh, yeah, my husband beat me. And, and this is messed up and this is messed up. And we're so focused on those things. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You have hope in Christ. You don't have to keep living that life. We don't have to keep living the uncreated life. We can live the new created life. The promise is in Christ. Chapter 21 is not, the focus is not Hagar. The focus is what God did. And he did what he said he was going to do. And he wants you to remember that because he wants you and me to worship. And what is worship? He wants us to respond to him based on history and what he has done and who he is, validating who he is so now we can have faith and trust in him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Christianity. That's the beauty of our King Jesus. Is then he makes, he says, I put skin in the game. I brought my Savior. I murdered my son for you so that now you and me can be children of the promise. That's good news. That's great news. Freedom. You see the text? You know, he didn't say, and now you can be a good Christian. He says you can be part of the free woman. Free. You don't have to be in bondage to all the crap that we were in bondage to before Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit now says you can be free. You're free. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to take communion. When you do tithe, these are all just, just, just different measures of, of revealing our faith. Um, my prayer for our body is that we would live a life focused on the promise. whole point of chapter 21 
is, although God is good to the unbeliever too, he's sovereign and he's chosen someone. And the people who experience that beauty are those who are born supernaturally. Supernaturally. Who are ushered into that supernatural. And so God says, I kept my promise. Your boy's here. He's going to usher in the nations. We now get to be on this, this end, look at Galatians and say, wow. God has made me a child of free woman. That's what's awesome, Sarah, is that you have now been born again in the promise. It's awesome. That's what's exciting. Ray, when you say yes to Jesus, God says, you are now born again, and you're free. No longer the bondage. Let's respond in worship, guys. We're going to sing. Do we have one more song?